Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. Hi, and welcome back. Happy New Year. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'd really encourage you to listen to some of the older ones first. We have just passed the four-month mark from the car accident where we lost my youngest son, Miles. These episodes may have things that are a bit heavier, and I'd really love for you to get to know me as the person who started out podcasting first. Okay, if you're still here, let's do this. Thanks, as always, for all the love, support, messages on Instagram and Facebook. They are so uplifting. We are actually doing okay. We have gotten through Halloween, Thanksgiving, my birthday, a family wedding, Christmas, and New Year's, which is also my husband's and my anniversary. We are slowly adjusting to a new normal in our household. The grief is a bit more manageable. My older son is recovering both physically and mentally and is making a good effort to enjoy his senior year in high school and figure out his plans for next year. My husband and I are starting to do some of the things we used to enjoy and find some real joy in them, which is beautiful, but also hard in its own way. I never knew this, but after a big trauma in life, there is guilt where you think, wait, how can I feel okay with all the shit that's going on right now? What's wrong with me that I'm happy right at this moment? Then you think about the big bad thing that happened and boom, you're back to not being happy again. But honestly, if we have the ability to find peace, comfort, or joy, we should always feel that we can take it. There is no cause for guilt or to feel like we should always feel sad. I am doing better at work, able to interact more like myself with patients which is a relief to both me and them, I'm sure. I'm working on getting back in a routine to get a podcast out on a regular basis. But it is so hard to sit down, write, record, and edit a podcast. It just feels a little overwhelming. But I'm working on it, and I hope to get back to putting one out every other week here in the new year. What I want to talk about today is something I have been doing, and I think some of you may have too. I've been noticing over the last three months that I am using things outside of myself to feel better much more frequently than I had in the past. I saw a post that I had put on Facebook several years ago, and even though I had created it, it was what I needed to see that day. It says, using an external solution to solve an internal problem is dependence. Using an internal solution to solve an internal problem is independence mind-blowing. Being in that place currently, I decided who better to talk about this than me. So this week, I wanted to talk about asking food, alcohol, shopping, or TV to make us feel better, because I for sure have seen an uptick in this in my life since the accident. I will say, I know it isn't a permanent change in my life. I fully plan to get back to all my good habits but I'm in a place where I can see, understand, and help shed light on this. In life, so much of what we do, we do to avoid negative emotions. 
I think this is almost an epidemic in the U.S. and getting more common every day. Why is this? I think there are many reasons that we as a society feel this way. One of the most important is the media. We are absolutely bombarded with the message that all we need to feel awesome is a thing. The media also insinuates that to not feel great is abnormal or wrong. I want to take a minute to refresh you on some of the slogans, and we'll think about what messages they are giving us. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Not loving your commute or your kids arguing in the car? A Big Mac will fix it. Dunkin' Donuts, America runs on Dunkin'. Feeling tired or bored? Dunkin' Donuts will literally get you out there and running. Skittles, taste the rainbow. Life lacking in color or excitement? Skittles will fix it. Lucky Charms, they're magically delicious. Kids lost a soccer game or got a bad grade on a test? Lucky Charms can magically fix that for you. Burger King, have it your way. Things aren't going the way you want? Burger King has your back, and there you can have things exactly the way you want them. Red Bull gives you wings. Wanting to escape, feeling blah or blue? Red Bull can literally pick you up and fly you out of it. Coke, it's the real thing. Experiencing the drudgery of a 9-to-5 job in a cubicle? A Coke is the real thing you need. Kit Kats, give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. You need a break from screaming kids, stressful meeting at work, traffic, post-dinner cleanup? Kit Kat is a ready-made break. What about the commercials showing thrilled people off the grid in fancy cars? A car will take you away from the bustle of life, give you that sense of adventure. Relationships that appear perfect because of a diamond necklace? Your marriage is challenging? A necklace will fix it because then you can believe he loves you. Cruise ships with happy families, no lines, and plenty of deck chairs. A trip will be carefree and perfect. We are constantly shown in the media that a thing will fix the way we feel. And it will for a moment, but it comes at a price. Now we add to this that the things we use to buffer or smooth out our emotions are often relatively cheap and easily available. Maybe not the car, the diamond necklace, or the cruise, but a Coke, a Kit Kat, or a Red Bull will set you back less than an organic apple. As soon as we feel bored, sad, worried, frustrated, our brains pop up something we could use to quickly move past that feeling. Advertising is only part of the American buffering pandemic. Another reason I think this is so prevalent in the U.S. is the decline in people accepting responsibility for their emotions. It is always someone else's fault that we feel rotten. We blame it on Trump, our boss, COVID, our spouse or children, or the other drivers on the road. When we think others are the source of our issues, we are powerless to change. Let me repeat that. It is so important. If you zoned out, really hear this. When we think others are the source of our issues, we are powerless to change our situation. When we give responsibility for our emotions to others, it leads to more buffering since we think we are not in control. What is the problem with this? So many of us think life should all be feeling good, but in trying to always feel good, we actually create more negativity in our lives. Many emotions we are pushing away are just uncomfortable. 
Think boredom, anxiety, frustration, irritation, and so on. A stressful job, arguing kids, an unpleasant daily commute, a spouse who isn't always what we'd like them to be, a family member who seems unreasonable. We use many things to just gloss over these feelings so we can pretend everything is good. But when we use something else to smooth out our feelings, we still have what was bothering us at the start, and we have the negative consequences of what we were using to feel better. This may come in the form of weight gain from food, hangovers, or bad sleep from alcohol, increased debt from shopping. To keep feeling good, we have to keep doing whatever we are doing to feel good with exponentially increasing negative side effects of trying to feel good. So how are people asking things in their life to make them feel better? I've talked about this before, but I want to refresh our memories on this. Many things that we enjoy that aren't great for us release a big surge of dopamine, the feel-good hormone in our brains. The dopamine surge makes us feel good for a period of time, then it starts to drop off and our brain goes back to where it was before. The initial problem comes back. Now we have the choice of feeling the initial negative emotion and the negative emotions generated by doing something with negative consequences, or by doing something again that gives us the dopamine hit again. Food is the most common thing people use to feel better. Flour and sugar give us an especially big surge in our dopamine levels. Our brains are literally hardwired to get a surge from high caloric foods. This goes back thousands of years when food was scarce. If we found a source of dense calories, our brains wanted us to eat it and keep eating it because it could mean the difference between surviving the winter and not. Our primitive brains are literally telling us that these foods are not just tasty, but important for our survival. And our primitive brains are sneaky. They may just pitch a temper tantrum like a toddler, but often they are more subtle. Here are some of the excuses my and other clients' brains have given to get us to eat when we are feeling sad, stressed, or anxious. Just one won't hurt. It looks good. It will taste good. Someone brought it, and I don't want them to think I don't appreciate it. Someone made it, and I don't want to waste it. I don't usually get this. I may not have an opportunity to eat this again. All of these excuses make your brain think you need to eat the food. You may not even realize your brain is feeling an emotion that is uncomfortable because through years of conditioning, it skips feeling the emotion and goes straight to, food will make this better. When you have an urge to eat something that wasn't on your plan, this is the time to question, what am I trying to avoid with food? What is the problem that I am asking this food to solve? Some other things people use include alcohol. We think alcohol will take the edge off. I deserve it. Today was hard, long, or sad. I need it. It helps me relax. It makes my meal more enjoyable or special. It makes cooking dinner more fun. It helps me get to sleep, which, by the way, may be true, but it is very clear that quality of sleep is worse after alcohol. We'll use shopping. It's exciting to buy something new. This will make me look good, feel good, feel happy, not be bored, make my life better. 
For others, it's gambling. Winning money will change everything. This is exciting. I will be lucky this time. Believe it or not, for some, it's even overworking. If I am thinking about work, I don't have to think about the problems in my real life. If I am successful, these things going wrong in my private life don't matter. My work is easier to control than my home life. So what is the answer to all this buffering to feel better? What other choice do we have, you ask? First, we need to get really comfortable with one fact of life. Life is 50-50, half good, half bad. Some amazingly high highs, some barely can survive lows, and a fair amount of meh. Once we accept that it is normal and expected to have some bad in our life, then we need to lean in and just experience those feelings. As one of my amazing mentors says, allowing a feeling means not being mad at yourself for having the feeling. It means not thinking you're broken or defective or somehow doing it wrong for having the feeling. It includes not requiring the feeling to change before you can be nice to yourself. She says, sometimes love yourself is a tall order, and that's okay. When I feel like love myself is totally inaccessible, I reach for don't be an asshole to myself, treat myself like a friend, extend myself some grace, forgive myself for being human. These seem eminently more doable. And guess what? They work just as well. Allowing is the opposite of fighting, resenting, judging, feeling the need to get rid of. Just because you're not fighting a feeling doesn't mean you pretend you're not in pain. You can tell the truth to yourself about how it sucks, how much you wish you could just snap a finger and make it all go away. How sometimes being human on planet Earth feels like a shit deal. Amazingly, what we often find is that the feeling itself is not really all that awful. It's just a sensation in our bodies and not even that unbelievably unpleasant. But here is where I have been getting hung up. What about the really big feelings? The ones that really can't be glossed over? What I have realized recently is that some feelings are much deeper, bigger, and more challenging. Terror or true fear for your life or safety, like with a cancer diagnosis. Overwhelming grief, as in the loss of a close family member. Heartbreak from a cherished relationship ending. Anger can stem from these experiences as well, and many people have been taught that anger is a bad emotion to feel, so they feel obligated to try to banish it. I have found that these really big, strong emotions we often can't push down, They are too big to avoid completely, so we are often really experiencing them at least some of the time. One of two things happens with these big feelings. Either they well up frequently and we repeatedly try to avoid them. Think the people who crash and burn after a disaster, become alcoholics, gain 100 pounds, or lose their home from gambling. Or we lean in for much of the time, allowing them and experiencing them, And then we just get exhausted from feeling them. We want a break from them, so we still buffer. This means you are actively feeling them for a part of the day, and then you are doing your best to check out for part of the day. Often, the checkout time is evening. You make it through the day, but at the end of the day, you just can't put on a cheerful front or even keep your shit together. I'll admit, 
I have been doing some of this since we lost Miles. I have welcomed grief in as fully as I could. I have imagined opening my arms to it and hugging it to my chest instead of reflexively pushing it away because I want to someday be past this grief and the only way past it is through the thick of it. I have cried and cried and cried some more. When the feelings come, I don't try to push them down, but by evening I am exhausted from them and I just want a break. Honestly, I don't want to feel anything at all. If I could have come home from work and just gone to bed, that might have solved the problem, but I have three other children and a spouse that still need me in the picture. I felt like I had to figure out how to make it through at least a few hours after I got home from work. In the first few months after he died, foods with flour and sugar, a glass of Prosecco or a Mexican beer, and some trash TV were how I put aside the feelings for a bit in the evening. And the bummer is the same holds true. I have negative consequences from this. I've gained weight. I waste time watching Squid Games and The Boys instead of working on a podcast. The glass of Prosecco disrupts my sleep. I understand this is where I am. My brain just cannot be in that grief all the time. I see this so often in my patients as well, doing what they need to do all day to get to appointments and keep themselves together and then just breaking down and wanting comfort wherever they can find it. I think in these situations, we need to give ourselves grace. Accept that this is just where we are for today, but that we need to plan for things to get better in the future. I had a schedule in my mind. Whatever I wanted to eat, whatever pushed the grief out of my head for a time on Netflix or Amazon, and one to two drinks per night for the first three months. When we passed the first three months, the next phase was to eat what I wanted at dinner, but follow my plan with fasting until lunch and no flour and sugar at my midday meal. Alcohol four to five days a week, one drink on the weekdays, and two on the weekends. TV is fine, but gets shut off by 9.30. I'll give that a few months and then see what next step I can take towards surviving this grief without totally undoing all the hard work I've done on myself over the last five years. So the bottom line, many of us are asking for food to serve purposes other than just fueling our bodies. We are asking it to console us, distract us, entertain us, and more. When we ask food, alcohol, drugs, gambling, shopping to solve our problems, we create more problems. The problem that was initially there is still there, and now there is the downside to what we are using to feel better. Obesity, increasing debt, risk of alcoholism or addiction are added to our initial problems. The negative in our life increases. This is true even if what we are trying to comfort ourselves from is a real deep trauma or loss. We still have experienced the trauma or loss, but now we get to be fat, in debt, or possibly addicted people trying to deal with trauma or loss. We need to try to not use things with downsides to make ourselves feel better. Stay tuned as I talk about helpful ways to feel better over the upcoming weeks. If you haven't had a chance yet, check out the free Facebook group, Best Life After Cancer MD, where you can ask questions, get support, and connect with others who are looking for a group of supportive, positive, loving people 
to walk the difficult times of our life with. Much love to all of you, and I will speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.